Dry bones rattling. Woo! Okay, no dry bones in here, right? Not anymore. Got them rattling. God speaks, and they come together. What a way to go. What a way to go. You know, some of the greatest, um, most powerful influencers in my life uh, have come in the true stories of faithful followers of Jesus. And many of them I didn't know personally. I don't know them like a friend. Some I have. But people like uh, David Wilkerson, he wrote the book, um, The Cross and the Switchblade. If you're familiar with, with that. I, if you haven't read the book, you ought to read it. Uh, it's probably on e-reader. You can probably listen to it, Jack. Um, Jack likes to read by listening. Another one is uh, Amy Carmichael. She wrote a, she wrote a book. Uh, she was a missionary in India for over 53 years, and her book is A Chance to Die as the Life of Amy Carmichael. Phenomenal story of service and inspiration. Just her life has been amazing. Um, but one person that grabbed my attention when I was a young man is a guy named Jim Elliott. And you may have heard him... Uh, I read his book, uh, the book about him, called Shadow of the Almighty. It's the life and testament of Jim Elliott. It was written by his wife, his widow. Um, when I was in my 20s, um, I got a hold of this book, and it stirred and challenged me uh, to this day. It still does. Um, Jim Elliott's passion for Christ, his, his love for God, it was just unbelievable. And, it, and the story starts when he was in college. So I read it right when I was uh, finishing up college. It was just right where I was in my life. And um, it was just unbelievable. Jim Elliott, um, some of his best quotes, there's tons of them out there that have stuck with me over the years, ones like this. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Isn't that incredible? He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep, his life, to gain what he cannot lose, eternal life. It's unbelievable. Or this one, God always gives his best to those who leave the choice to him. Hmm, kind of makes you go, hmm, doesn't it? And there's one more. There's actually a whole bunch more, but I'm only going to show this one. Eternity shall be at once a great eye-opener and a great mouth shutter. I particularly like that one. I don't know why. Um, I really like it. You know, it's like one day when you meet eternity, when you get into heaven or something like that, for a lot of us it's going to be... Oh, and your eyes are going to be open. You go, oh, oh, <laughs> the great eye opener or the great mouth shutter. Like, oh, hmm. <laughs> I said a lot of things wrong. I did a lot of things wrong. Today, we're going to take a look at Acts chapter 9. We've been talking uh, through Acts some these last several weeks. And uh, we're going to read the conversion story of Saul. And uh, this is, this is uh, ideally a, a time, is literally a time that eternity met Saul face to face. It was an eye-opener for Saul, blinding him and shutting his mouth in order to speak through him. And if you know the story, it's going to be very familiar to you, but I want to kind of expand on this a little bit. So let's start with what, what or who is Saul? What, what is it about Saul that makes him so different? What makes his conversion so important that we find it in Scripture? And um, then Saul reiterates it all through the New Testament, several other places, in Philippians, Corinthians, um, some of his other letters, he just retells his story again and again. Well, we know that Saul changed his name to Paul, and that, and that uh, is pretty amazing in itself. He felt a life change, so he felt a name change. But what came before that story? What comes before his conversion story? Well, to give you an idea, Saul was likely one of the most brilliant men of his day. 
He was born in Tarsus, which was a commercial center of the Middle East. It was the home of a famous university, the University of Tarsus. Uh, anybody heard of it? Back then, it was a big deal, okay? And uh, it was a big deal if you went to the University of Tarsus, and he, he likely attended there. He was a pure, of pure Israelite descent, which he was very, very proud of, but he was born a Roman citizen. His father had actually probably bought his freedom, which made him a Roman citizen, and then Paul was born into that family. Um, his family was of some distinction in the community, would have been kind of well-known, and they were likely pretty well-to-do. Saul was bilingual, which was unusual as well. He was raised an Orthodox Hellenistic Jew, and that means he was Jewish, but he embraced the Greek cultural influence in that faith and how it would have been in the church. Now, there were two different vents to that. There was the Orthodox side, and there was the progressive side. Sound familiar? We have those in about every denomination under the sun. You have one that's very strict orthodoxy, and then you have others that are more liberal in their thinking, and then you have the kind of in the middle. have stuff all over the place. So this was not unusual for his world. He was a student in the religious school of Gamaliel, who was a very well-known Hebrew scholar. Now, Saul was a man on the fast track to power and influence. He was rising up in the ranks of the Pharisees very, very quickly, and he did not like Jesus, despised him, and he despised the followers. They were messing everything up. He could see his career path, and all of a sudden, Jesus shows up right in the midst of him about to graduate. I don't know. He was like, you are messing up my career path. I do not like you. Get out of here. I want to destroy you. So with that in mind, we find us in our story today. Now remember, Stephen has just been stoned, uh, just a chapter or two earlier, stoned to death. The followers of Jesus are scattered. They are running all over the place. They are leaving Jerusalem, and that finds us in Acts chapter 9, beginning in the first verse. And we'll read through verses 22 this morning. So it begins this way. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked them for letters to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found anyone there who belongs to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. Now, it seems that the other religious leaders were in Jerusalem were satisfied that they had run off all these people that were gathering in the temple, all these Christians that were meeting in the porticos and the homes and all that um, after the stoning of Stephen. They were willing to let it, let it be at that point. They were kind of like, hey, we're good with this but not Saul. He was the one that was still breathing out threats. I'm going to put you in prison. I'm going to kill you. I'm going to have you kill whatever. He asked for letters of permission for, for Damascus and had every intention of ferreting out every Christian follower there was between Jerusalem and Damascus. And he was going to take this letter, supposedly to Damascus, but everywhere else along the road. He was going to be arresting people like crazy. So verse 3 picks up. As he neared Damascus on his journey... Suddenly a light from the heavens flashed around him, and he fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, the voice said to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now, remember, Saul is a smart guy, but he didn't know Jesus. He probably saw him crucified um, from a distance, 
He was aware of all the happenings, what were going on. This is a very tight time schedule, but he really did not know Jesus. This man of extremely high intelligence and high esteem had been knocked to the ground, to the dust, by an encounter with the eternal God. And it changed him instantly. I want you to think about it. He went from being shouting out threats to being in the dirt within a matter of a light flash and a short conversation, and it changed him completely. Now, that is hard for us to imagine in the 20th century because our minds are such that if there's transformation or change that's going to happen, it takes time. It's slow in progress. You don't change anybody's mind anymore, do you? I mean, we, we know that. You, we, we look at social media, we look at our news, and people are blasting their opinions, and we don't change our minds because they get angry or mad or loud, do we? We just kind of dig our heels in and go, well, you're wrong. And that's the way we do it. That's how it is in the 21st century, right? We, we're not, we like our echo chambers where I can get the amens and people agree with me. So here Saul is, this man who was set on his ways. He was on his track. He was dug in. He was ready to go. He says, I know that I'm right. Within an instant, he has an encounter that changes him forever. It's amazing. Saul was convinced of the lordship of Jesus and the sovereignty of God instantly. And he responds obediently. Picking back up in verse 6. Jesus says to him, Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound, but they did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias. Yes, Lord, he, re- he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I've heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. He's a little nervous. And he has come here with authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, Go. This man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, which is interesting. He calls him a brother right off the bat. Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he could see again. He got up and was baptized. And after taking some food, he regained his strength. Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. Powerful story, isn't it? I remember even saying the prayer myself, God, make these scales fall from my eyes because I want to see you clear. I want to know you more intimately. 
I don't want to be distracted by anything else in this world. I want to know how I can be faithful to you. And these scales fell off his eyes. Jim Elliott once said, it's hard to steer a parked car. Isn't that true? You ever done that? It doesn't go anywhere. The wheel's hard to turn, and you're still not moving. Sometimes I think that um, when we are going the wrong direction, it is best for us to stop and get directions before we proceed, right? It's easier to change directions once you slow down a little bit. Saul was going the wrong direction, even though he thought he was going the right direction. God has singled him out in a very powerful way, knocked him down and blinded him so he could get him going on the right path and that he ultimately wanted him in. Now, remember, Saul wanted to honor God. He was wanting to be faithful to God. Even when he was trying to take out all the Christians, he was trying to do what he thought was right. He was trying to honor God with everything that he could. He was a great student. He was moving up in the ranks to be a religious influence in, his, in the Jewish community. And he thought he was going the right way, but he did not know Jesus. As we look at this remarkable conversion, I want you to consider this. Conversion requires the Holy Spirit using the Word of God through a man or woman of God. Three things, the Holy Spirit, the Word of God, and people. That's how we come to know who Jesus is. So let's look at this in his life. When Jesus appeared to Saul personally on that road to Damascus, the Spirit of God opened his eyes spiritually while closing them physically so he might see Jesus. He had to close his eyes before he could see. You ever have to do that? I, I think that's why we pray with our eyes closed a lot. We have to close our eyes so we are not distracted. So we can focus on the Spirit of God speaking to us. Say, God, I don't see you at work around me. Help me see you. And we close our eyes. So God had to close his eyes so that he could speak to him spiritually. So the Spirit, Holy Spirit, was definitely at work. Well, how was the Word of God uh, used in this conversion? Well, as I mentioned earlier, Saul was a Pharisee. He knew a great deal about the Word of God. He was very well educated in the Word of God, the Torah, and all the Old Testament that we know. And when Saul encountered Jesus, the Word of God in his mind and his heart became alive to the fulfillment of Scripture. All of a sudden, he started seeing how Jesus was fulfilling all the prophecies that he had studied about in the Old Testament. All these things were true in the person of Jesus. And all of a sudden, he realized that this person he was trying to destroy and stamp out, was actually the Messiah. And that came to light with him. So the Scripture came alive in him too. So the Holy Spirit worked, the Word of God worked, but who was the person that God used in the conversion? We could easily say it was Ananias. He was definitely a player in this. But I believe it was none other than Stephen himself. These two young men only met once. They were both Hellenistic Jews. They were of the same kind of vein in the Jewish synagogues, so they, they may have been in the same space together, but they only met once, and that was when Saul stood there giving approval to his stoning just a few days before. Now you remember when Stephen looked up into the heavens and he said, I see heaven open and Jesus standing there 
at the right hand of God. You remember that? He says, I see it. Saul, I believe, looked into the heavens too at that moment, but he couldn't see anything. He then looked at Stephen, who was, and, and on his face, and he could see on his face that Stephen was actually seeing something, that he was having a vision. He could tell it from his countenance and the peace that flowed over him, even in the midst of taking on rocks, uh, being stoned to death. Now, I believe that actually Saul wanted and hoped that heaven would open up to him too, that he would have a vision of something great as well, and he would have a vision of God. Have you ever wanted that? Have you ever had a... Uh, heard a, a testimony or an encounter or somebody talk about this incredible encounter with God or, or this moving moment they had in prayer or in worship or something like that and, and, or a dream they had and you go, gosh, I really wish I could have something like that. I wish the heavens would open up for me. I wish I would have a vision. I wish God would speak to me like that. And you kind of long for it. Have you ever felt that way? Maybe you should. Maybe that should be your prayer. God, open, open my heart. Open my eyes so that I can see you. I want to have this encounter. And I think Saul, wanting to be faithful to God, wanted to have this encounter. He's like, why is this happening to him and not to me? Maybe it's a question in his mind. And ultimately, you know what did happen? Saul did have a vision on the Damascus Road. He had an encounter with the risen Christ. And just like the men on the road to Emmaus, he wondered, why didn't my heart burn within me? Why didn't I know? Why didn't I recognize him as the Messiah? And it wasn't until the breaking of the bread, you remember on the road to Emmaus, that the, their eyes were open and they saw Jesus for who he was, the risen Christ. For Saul, it happened to be a blinding light, and it wasn't until the light blinded him and the voice spoke that he realized that Jesus is the Messiah. I believe that God uses human instruments in the conversion of every individual. Although that individual may not be present at the moment of the conversion. That's why you and I should always cast our influence for Christ at all times. You never know what your life and your witness will do for someone else. How it may draw them into a relationship with Christ. You never know what a friendship or a kind gesture may do for someone being influenced by you for the purpose and sake of Christ. Jim Elliott died in 1956 at the hands of an indigenous Indian tribe in Ecuador. He had just gotten off a plane that had landed uh, near a riverbed, and as he was moving toward a uh, village there to share Christ with them, they were attacked, and he was killed. He wasn't quite 29 years old yet very young man, and yet he lived a life that is still reaching souls for Jesus today. His story is still being told. Dr. C.I. Schofield is the man who edited the Schofield Bible, and before his conversion, he was an outstanding international lawyer, but he had this problem of being a very heavy drinker. He had a godly mother who prayed for him continually, and she died before Dr. Schofield was converted. On one occasion, Dr. Lewis Sperry Chafer was praying with Dr. Schofield and, was and he was telling everyone that he heard Dr. Schofield say, Lord, if my mother doesn't know that I've been converted, would you please tell her so? After the fact, 
the influence of the prayers of a mother for their children. God uses a human instrument in the conversion of every person, even though they may not be present at the time. I watched the same thing happen in my family because my brother is known to be, uh, he was the wayward child in our family. And I'm not just saying that, he would tell you that himself. Uh, became an alcoholic at a young age in his teens, became a drug addict. And uh, my mother prayed for him and prayed for him and prayed for him every single day. My father too. And I remember him picking him up from the airport. He was in his early 30s. And he, would, he was high, he was drunk, and I was taking him home for a visit. That was going to be wonderful, wasn't it? And he told me, you know, I never thought I'd live this long. He said, my life has been so rough shot and going all over the place. He goes, I, I thought I'd really would OD or catch a disease or something. Later, after he got his life together, he said, this is all because Mama prayed. Mama's been praying for me, and he said, God has protected me for some reason or another. A life that has changed. Now, fortunately, my mom's still living. She got to see his conversion. She gets to celebrate that every day now. But that is how the influence of your human witness has on your family and your friends. It will transform you and help people to come to know Christ. I wonder, do you know who was the instrument in your conversion can you look back and identify the people in your life that that were kind of the ones that meant gave you that extra boost influenced you a little bit it may have been a, a pastor it may have been a youth director it may have been a family member it may have been somebody else in your life a friend that encouraged you i remember i remember my freshman year in college i met a guy named keith cowart he was just a year or two older than me but Keith lived his life in such a way I'd never seen before. Not anybody my age, not anybody my age that was so serious about their faith. I mean, he, he would talk about his prayer life like he was having coffee with Jesus every day. And I was like, wow, God told you that? And he goes, well, yeah. And I was like, we didn't have cell phones back then, but I was about to say he texted you, but he, he didn't know. He didn't text him. He, it would have been over coffee. That's the way we did it. We had the phone on the wall with the long cord. You remember those? Some of y'all have read about that in history books. <laughs> but his, his relationship with God was so real, it impacted me. And I thought, why do I not have a relationship with that, like that? I mean, I believe in Jesus. I was involved in ministry. I wanted, I wanted to, to do that too. And his life influenced my life. It was something that changed me. It encouraged me. And I wonder, it challenged me to, to take faith seriously. To live out what I really said I believed. If I really believed it, was it really this way? And I want to pursue God with everything I had. Who is that for you? Who is it that's influenced your life? You're like, gosh. I want, to, I want to go on with God more than I am right now. I want to grow in my faith. Maybe you said, I want to be like them. Second question, who are you the influencer for? Who are you making a difference in their life, challenging them, encouraging them in their faith journey, helping them make a decision to follow Christ? 
You know, it doesn't mean that you have to have to get a person on their knees and pray the sinner's prayer with them. That's, that's not it. But what it does mean is that you get the good news of Jesus Christ to them. It could be as simple as listening to Christian radio in your car. When they get in, they're like, what is this? And you go, oh, it's his radio, or it's Caleb, or it's, you know, what? It's a, it's a music mix I have of praise and worship. I love this song. Listen to this song rattle. And they're like, I've never heard this before. What is this foreign stuff you're introducing me to? Like, it's called Jesus music. It's how I keep my praise on all day long. How do you have that influence? It may be the only conversation you have, but they walk away going, something is different. Something is unique. And they start saying, they have a peace that I want to have. They have an assurance that I wish I had. They know where they're going. Who are you influencing? Who are you changing and challenging? You know, when we share our lives like that, and the Word of God comes out, the Holy Spirit goes to work, and it leads to conversion. Acts 9, verses 20 to 22 tells us what Saul did right after his conversion. It says this in verse 20. It says, At once... Saul began to preach in the synagogues, and look what he preached, that Jesus is the Son of God. That's something he did not believe just a few days before. But he starts preaching this. All those who heard him were astonished and asked, Isn't he the man who raised havoc in Jerusalem among those who called on this name? And hasn't he come here to take them as prisoners to the chief priest? The answer is yes, he was, and yes, he did. Yet Saul grew more and more powerful and baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Messiah. Listen, why is this such a big deal? It's because, first of all, you must know who Christ is before you can believe what he did. Saul didn't know who Christ was, and so he didn't understand what he did. And we've got to start in the same place. Jesus died to pay the penalty for our sins, but it's because He is the Son of God that He could die for our sins. I couldn't die for your sin. You couldn't die for mine. No human being can die a redemptive death for another human being. Only Christ could do this for us because He is the Son of God. Saul preached this because it's the first thing that every one of us needs to know. Paul truly had sight, now he could see. But it was not until he was blinded by the truth of who Jesus is that he truly could see. So who helped you see Jesus? And who are you helping to see him? Let's pray. Father, you've given us a life of influence, with people of influence, with souls that are eternal. You have come to us right where we are today. You've shown yourself to us. You've revealed yourself to us. And Father, it's up to us to truly believe your knock. So even with eyes closed right now, open our vision to see who you are. Open our hearts to our need for you. And Lord, may we be recklessly abandoned 
your grace in our lives, the opportunity to give ourselves to you as you have given yourself to us. Father, meet us where we are right now. Make us an influencer for your kingdom, starting with our friends, our families, our coworkers, the random person that we meet in stores and along the street. May, our, may your light shine through us today. And may we draw close to you with confidence. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.